Greetings, I am Dr. Sonia Whitaker, host of the podcast show entitled, What's Really Going On? A spotlight on solutions to improving student achievement in America's public schools. The purpose of this show is not to admire problems, it's to focus on comprehensive plans of actions that can be implemented for the purpose of ensuring that all students, and more specifically, students of color, and students experiencing the impact of poverty experience success in school and ultimately in life. You may access my podcast show by tuning into Spotify, SoundCloud, or Apple Podcasts. You may also access the show by visiting my website at sonyawhitaker.com. dedicate this podcast to my dear uncle, Dr. Leonard Wells. As has been stated in numerous news reports, Dr. Wells, Uncle Pete, was a legend on the Milwaukee Police Department and impacted his community greatly. At the time of his death, he was a professor of criminal justice at the University of Memphis in Tennessee. What I also want you to know about my uncle is that he loved our family greatly. Not unlike far too many people from around the world, we lost Uncle Pete as a result of symptoms associated with COVID-19. Uncle Pete and I had planned to sit down and record a podcast relevant to his life's work but we never got a chance to do so. I will attempt to do so now in his honor. Talking and writing about it and making the decision to share publicly has been one of the most agonizing decisions that I have ever made. Because of the magnitude of this pandemic outbreak, his death has become a very public discussion. And yet, losing a loved one, one whom you have always admired, is normally a private moment that you share with family and very close friends. Traditionally, you mourn together with people that you feel most comfortable with showing multiple levels of vulnerability to and not strangers. Yet, because so many of us have either loved someone, knew someone, or have learned of someone that has been impacted by COVID-19, all of a sudden, you feel as if you now have something in common. And in some ways, you begin to feel close to people that you have yet to meet. With regards to me recording this podcast in the absence of my uncle, I would like to be very clear about my intent. First, I find speaking and writing therapeutic. It's healthy. Doing so has helped me to deal with the current reality. Plus, I think you'd get a kick out of knowing that I moved forward. I got the courage to share this story 
at the encouragement of a dear friend, I developed even more courage after hearing the story of a public figure. This public figure shared publicly about losing a loved one due to coronavirus. What I learned after hearing of that story in particular is that I was not the only one who was trying to deal with the loss of a loved one while at the same time trying to figure out what in the world is going on. Also, I want my uncle's legacy to live on. I can't really explain it, but in so many ways, I'm not really ready to let go of him. So his spirit lives on in me, and it lives on in everyone that he has touched. For those of you who don't know him, when you read about the life and legacy of Dr. Leonard Wells, you will learn that he was committed to serving others. We never know when our time on this earth is going to end. And yet, I feel like he spent his entire life preparing by making sure that every minute counted. So many people have shared amazing stories about lessons that they've learned from him. I have especially appreciated reading all of the online comments from his students at the University of Memphis in Tennessee. Uncle Pete and Auntie Corrine had traveled to Tennessee to Milwaukee a few weeks ago in order to take care of some business and visit family. And they were actually in the process of preparing to drive back to my house in Illinois for dinner to see me and my mom and family with the intent of then making their way back to their home in Tennessee. I was so excited and in anticipation of their arrival to my house, I began cooking and cleaning. I bought flowers and I did all of the stuff that a niece would do before the arrival of one of her favorite uncles. After not hearing from Uncle Pete, I grew a bit concerned because that was out of character for him. And I went to reach for the phone, but before I could call and check on him, Auntie Corrine had actually called me. And she said, honey, we're not going to make it. Your uncle is in the hospital, and they think he has the coronavirus. I remember standing completely still. My legs got stiff. And even though the television was on in the kitchen, I could see the character on the screen talking like her lips were actually moving and the volume was up, but I couldn't hear a word she was saying. In fact, I'm, I don't recall hearing much more after my aunt's initial statement. It was like everything went silent. All I recall is within a few days, I received word that the doctors put my uncle in a coma.
Uncle Pete didn't live much longer after that. You see, he never made it to my house for dinner. And he never, never made it back home to Tennessee. Out of an abundance of caution, my mother made the decision not to attend her own brother's funeral. We buried my uncle virtually. And in my home, my family and I sat next to my mother, lit candles, and we watched his memorial service on both an iPad and a laptop. Unimaginable. I did the best that I could to support my mom while attempting to manage my own emotions during this very difficult time. After feeling that mom was in a good space emotionally, I took to my front porch in my PJs with a cup of coffee in hand and I sat and I sat and I sat. And I, I looked across the street and I, I kept looking and no cars was driving at all. No cars were passing by. No one was driving. It was like everything was still. And then I looked at the homes in my cul-de-sac and it seemed like nobody was home. But I know my neighbors were there. To me, it felt like at that moment, the entire world was still. So in a quiet moment of reflection, I asked myself, Sonia, how are you feeling? And my immediate response was, I miss my cousin. And now that I think about it, I think that I said that because I don't know about your in your family, but in my family, we always say, the only time we ever get together is at funerals. And yet, due to COVID-19, my cousins and I, we didn't get to mourn together. We were not able to get together and eat our favorite soul food comfort items and tell ridiculously funny stories about my uncle. Instead, I was left feeling pretty empty, which I know that far too many people around the world today can relate to. And so now my greatest hope is to fill the empty void that I feel in my heart by making sure that my uncle's legacy lives on through my work. In a conversation with my aunt, Uncle Pete's wife, the very next day after his burial, she shared with me, people keep telling me that my husband's legacy will live on, but I don't really understand what is meant by that or what they really mean. I shared with my auntie that my uncle lost his life to COVID-19 but COVID-19, it was not his life. His legacy is associated with his fearless fight for racial equality. And if I might use my comfortable language for a moment, he did that. He was not afraid to speak the truth. And he did so until he had no more breath left in his body. 
His work was in the area of criminal justice, and yet in so many ways, leading all efforts that lead toward equality remains imperative and is very much relevant to the field of education. Here is what we know about COVID-19. Coronavirus does not discriminate, but it does disproportionately impact the black community. We know that there is an alarming disparity between the number of African-Americans dying of symptoms related to COVID-19 and whites. In the city of Chicago alone, according to research reports made nationwide now, black residents make up more than half of all cases and about 70% of those who have died of the virus. However, African Americans make up only 30% of the city population. In Michigan, African Americans make up a third of all cases and 40% of deaths while making up just 14% of the state's population. And 70% of people who have died of COVID in Louisiana as of April 6th were African American. Less than one-third of the state's population is black. And in Alabama, an equal number of black and white residents have died. But 69% of the population is white, while roughly 27% is black. The bottom line is that when you look at COVID-19, it significantly impacts persons who have higher rates of disease. And that's the picture for so many African Americans. It is not their genes. It is the social conditions that we have created, says David Williams, a professor of public health at Harvard, whose research has examined how race and class affect health. Mr. Williams further addresses this issue in the April 10, 2020 edition of the Gazette. And if that's not enough to take our breath away, just a week ago in Wisconsin, the same state where my uncle lost his life, the Supreme Court ruled that in-person voting proceed despite health risks and the fact that many who requested absentee ballots never got them. Unfortunately, acts of this nature have negatively impacted the life trajectories and experiences of black Americans and Americans experiencing the impacts of poverty for generations. Now, to date, I know of no nationally concerted plan designed for the inherent purpose of combating the racial inequities that exist in America's public school systems. It is with this statement in mind that I intend to cause for a movement in this direction. This statement aligns with a quote that I recently read, and that quote is, nothing should go back to normal 
normal wasn't working. If we go back to the way things were, we have lost the lesson. May we rise and do better. So what is our role in changing this narrative? First, at the educational leadership level, we must experience a paradigm shift in thinking about what it really means to be a state, school, and district leader post-coronavirus, if there is such a term. I would like to highly recommend that in the great state of Illinois and nationwide, that as a direct result of this pandemic outbreak, we develop a comprehensive plan of action around two collective commitments. And those commitments are the implementation of culturally responsive pedagogy at the instructional level and the demonstration of a relentless commitment to closing the digital divide. With regards to the implementation of culturally responsive pedagogy, we must insist that our teachers and administrators engage in high-level training facilitated by competent scholars and practitioners relevant to culturally responsive teaching. This training must include, but cannot be limited, to the process of being able to identify the causes of inequities. Now, because of his teaching background, I am most confident that Uncle Pete would agree that the training must include the implementation of culturally responsive pedagogy at the instructional level, which includes teaching for social justice. Furthermore, our students must be taught how to address matters involving criminal justice in particular. If school curriculum and instructional practices do not reflect an opportunity for all students from all races and all cultural backgrounds to be able to identify and then pose recommended solutions for addressing the societal ills which serve to disadvantage the disadvantaged, we will have not come out of this better than we were before. With regards to the demonstration of a relentless commitment to closing the digital divide, as stated in the 2020 edition, April, of Education Week, school closings due to coronavirus have turned a spotlight on the disparities which contribute to the educational and income equality of the nation. As shared in my most recent podcast entitled, the silent killer, what we already knew, at no other time in the history of my career has the digital divide been more apparent than it is today. Paul Ravel, who is the former Secretary of Education from Massachusetts, stated in the Harvard Gazette, April 10, 2020, that 21st century learning requires technology and the Internet we can't leave this to chance. All of our children should have access to the technology that they need outside of school. We must make a determination as to how we will go about ensuring that all students, regardless of the zip code that they live in, gain access to the technological equipment and internet needed to better leverage them in accessing education in alignment with 21st century demands. 
My very specific recommendation is that there be national and state-level commitments toward ensuring that within the next two years, all students in our nation's schools have access to the technological equipment on how to a- and information about how to actually use it to access the content needed and the Internet capabilities needed to engage in e-learning opportunities in alignment with the academic expectations that have been set for them. In closing, the day Uncle passed away, Auntie Corrine said to me that Uncle Pete used to say to her, when I grow up, I want to be like Shay Shay. And I want to let you in on something. Shay Shay is my nickname. It is so very hard to believe that a man that made such a great impact on so many others would make a statement in reference to me. I'm humbled. Uncle Pete is passing the baton. I'll take it from him. And I intend to push for racial equality in America's educational institutions for the rest of my life. I have no choice. The passion for this work lies in my bloodlines.